Hey, if you love The Mandalorian, season three is coming this weekend. We just put up a primer on our Ringerverse podcast. Mallory Rubin and Joanna Robinson broke everything down that you need to know as we head into this weekend. And then that feed's going to be popping as soon as that show starts. We're going to have The Midnight Boys, House R, covering everything. The Ringerverse. Go check it out. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Duncan. I love Duncan. Duncan just dropped a new kind of energy. They call it sparked energy. I mean, they have peach sunshine. I'm a huge peach guy. Like peach with drinks, I feel like is one of the most underrated drink combo kind of starter things that we have. Well, in this case, these are delicious. They're packed with caffeine and vitamins and minerals that give me the energy I need to get through the day. And a medium is $3 now through March 19th. So drop by and get sparked by Duncan. Sparked energy drinks are fruit flavored, contain 0% fruit juice. Beverages contain caffeine from caffeine and guarana. Participation may vary. Limited time offer, terms apply. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. I put up a new rewatchables on Monday night. Me, Sean Fantasy, and Chris Ryan. We did Catch Me If You Can with Leo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks, directed by Steven Spielberg. Had This was a really fun podcast, and we had one of the best debates we've ever had that I won't spoil on this pod, but it was it, it involved Hanks and Cruz. And Sean and I went at it, and Chris was more like an MMA referee. Every once in a while, I would come in and pull us apart. Uh, you can check that out. You can also check out the Prestige TV podcast this week, where not only we're breaking down Last of Us and Poker Face, but we have a Hall of Fame succession episode coming. I think late Wednesday night, we did an episode from season one, me and Sean and Chris. We actually taped Catch Me If We Can. Sean and I, we cleaned up the cuts and bruises from that podcast. Then we went right into the Succession one. So that is coming as well. If you love Succession, I would highly recommend checking that out. We have a bunch of good pop culture podcasts going, actually. I mentioned the Ringerverse at the top cover and The Mandalorian. Sean and Amanda and Wesley Morris, our old teammate, they did their alternative Oscars on the big picture. And then The Town with Matt Bellany has been covering all the Oscar storylines as they pop up, as they keep going. But as we get into um, as we get into March, it's going to heat up even more. I also think the Chris Rock Netflix special, I think, is going to be a way bigger deal than people realize. That's all I'm going to say. We have that. We have UFC this weekend. College basketball is heating up. All of a sudden, a really fun time to have this podcast again. I always go in the morning after football ends. I even took the Tuesday and Thursday pods off last week. The terrible all-star game happened. You, you feel like there's a little bit of a rut. It's pouring rain in LA. Then all of a sudden, we start heading to March. And the skies start opening up. The NBA starts heating up again. The Oscars are coming. 
good movies, good TV. Everything's coming back. Basketball playoffs, hockey playoffs. I watched a regular season hockey game last night from start to finish. Oilers, Bruins. I was watching basketball and that at the same time. Uh, we got the Masters coming. We have the Wimbledon and the French Open. I, this is a great time of year. A lot of good UFC stuff coming up. Coming up on this podcast, Ariel Hawani is going to talk about the Knicks. I'm going to talk about the Miami Heat and why I can't stand them. With somebody else who can't stand them, Mike Shore. As sports fans, not as journalists, we're just going pure sports fan hate. This is my sports fan hate team of the year, the Miami Heat. And then last but not least, our old friend Tate Frazier, employee number one of The Ringer, is returning to The Ringer with the One Shining Podcast pod, which is being reactivated. You can go refollow that feed or do whatever you need to do because you're going to be getting college basketball podcasts and basketball podcasts from Tate. We're going to explain everything you need to know about that. Me, Tate, Kevin O'Connor, we're going to be talking about college basketball, Tate's return to the ringer. And then I'm going to be on Tate's podcast later this week on uh, One Shining Podcast as we go into our whole like early days of the ringer and how Tate rose from Grantland intern to my first producer when I was on my own, to hosting multiple podcasts, to leaving. And now in 2023, he's back. And it feels great. And it's great to have him back. So great podcast today. Can't wait for you to listen to it. First, our friends from Pro Jam. All right, what a week for Ariel Hawani, who is on this podcast today and Thursday. We're saving all of our John wow. Jones UFC stuff for Thursday's pod. But since I had you, we were taping that part today. And then I was like, I got it. We got to talk next. So we're going to do a little quick next segment here. I watched John Schumann does this NBA power poll column that I really like on Mondays. And he had the Knicks ranked seventh on Monday morning in the league. Wow. And then they went and they spanked my Celtics. And... I don't, the Josh Hart thing, you know, Tib said it after the game. He's like, we have a bunch of like ball busters. We have some, you know, like we have a bunch of gamers down. You can kind of feel it. It's a little swagger to this team now. You starting to get ideas? What's going on with you? Oh my God. I was texting my good friend, Aaron Cohn, who I think you know as well. He's a huge Knicks fan after the game last night. And we were like, is fourth place possible? Like, is this is this an actual thing? Can we get home court in the first round? I was just hoping for, you know, like a 10 seed going into the season. And at one point in December, I think they were 10 and 13. Let me tell you something. I'm 40 years old, Bill. So you're you're two back in the loss column from the Cavs. Yeah. So I would say yes. fourth place is possible. I know, but you know, you never know. It's the Knicks. They get us excited and then they break our hearts. Uh, I have not bought a jersey in a very long time. There's a moment last night, Monday night, where I'm like, do I need a Josh Hart jersey? Like, is this my guy now? I love, and he's oh, got the yeah. three. He's got the Starks number. He plays with tenacity. I love the relationship that he has with uh, with Jalen Brunson. He's just a freaking grinder. He fills up a bunch of holes. I, I still get a little bit annoyed with Julius Randle towards the end of games. I feel like he does a little too much ISO. He does these hero shots. The, the three-pointers kill me. But if we have a healthy Mitch Robinson, if we've got Jalen playing as he's playing, if we've got Josh Hart, who should be starting, in my opinion, and who cares really as long well, as he ends the he game. finishes. Yeah, yes. he's a finisher for you. Doesn't matter. Uh, Julius doing his thing. RJ doing his thing. 
like Emmanuel quickly doing his thing. What's Doc RJ's Ryan, thing again? Do we does RJ have a thing? Listen, I, I wasn't don't be aware. a hater. Don't be a no, hater. He, all right. Does he has he figured out his thing yet? He's he's Ron Harper. All right. He's our Ron Harper. <laughs> okay. okay? That's all right. He's been reinvented could, as a Canadian defensive stopper. Perfect. All right. Perfect. They're playing well. And by the way, can I can I get something from all the Tibbs haters out there? Year one playoffs. Year two you stumble. Year three he flames out. How's he doing now? How's he doing now? Uh, Apologies. Thirty six and twenty seven. You've won six straight. I'm with you. Like I, I think they could definitely catch the Cavaliers. Worst case scenario, you're not falling below five. And oh, if I it's don't Cavs, be in that tournament. But if it's Cavs Knicks, round imagine? one. Could you imagine the Mitchell coming back? Oh. Um, the the Cavs have some size. That's kind of a weird matchup, but I do feel like you have you have more. Uh, I don't know, a little more moxie right so, now. So, uh, that Cavs team has had trouble finishing games. Um, really talented, but have kind of underachieved. If you think of like what what their record should be, whereas the Knicks have probably like overachieved a tiny bit. Although you blew a lot of crunch time games earlier in the year, now it seems like you fixed that. Well, it's a whole different team now. Like I said, we were 10 and 13 at one point in December. Yeah. Um, Tibbs shortened the rotation, started to finally play the young guys, giving them an opportunity, which he wasn't doing. The Josh Hart trade really changed. Like I, I think people saw that trade and saw what the Knicks did or didn't do at the deadline and thought it was a bit of a disappointment. I loved oh, it. That, they don't watch basketball if they didn't. That, I mean, Josh Hart and Vanderbilt were the two guys sitting there at the trade deadline for yes. like 10 contenders. I loved it. I loved it. Um, Given who he is and given his relationship with Jalen Brunson, I mean, it was just an amazing, amazing acquisition. Well, you know, and, did you see that video when Jalen Brunson found out and baggage uh, claim and like freaked out? And I was like, oh, I forgot these guys. I, I just, it, it never registered with me. But oh, that was amazing. Really smart. It was amazing. Um, so yes, I'm I'm very high on them. Uh, I will say earlier in the year, I was very down. I was still, look, there's a part of me that is still wondering, man, if we had Jalen Brunson and all these dudes and Donovan Mitchell, where would we be, right? Because I don't think anyone really thought no, Jalen would turn out. This worked out better because now, here's the other thing. You're in Embiid pole position if that Philly thing goes nuts oh, this spring, which is like the big secret thing that everybody's been talking about kind of, it's like the underground story right now is what's going on with Harden. Why Why is everybody in the league seem to think he's going to end up in Houston this summer? And if he does end up in Houston this summer, this is all like hearsay, rumor mill, like gossip stuff. But a lot of times when when it's like there's this much smoke, I get suspicious. Like the, the best example ever was LeBron going to the Lakers a year before he went to the Lakers. Yes. Where I even talked about it in my podcast. I was like, this is done. He's going to the Lakers. People thought I was crazy. Um, there was a ton of smoke and there's a ton of smoke with this hard in Houston stuff. And the Knicks are in pole position for Embiid if that happens. Now, whether you'd want him, whether you'd want to pay seven first rounders and RJ Barrett and Obi Toppin and, you know, whatever else you'd have to give up. I don't know. Um, for a guy who, who knows with, with the Knicks injury legacy with big guys. On the other hand, um, I like that you kept all your assets and you have some flexibility versus like, I don't know, is Mitchell winning you the title? Probably not. Well, and does Brunson flourish like this without Mitchell? Uh, Probably not. First of all, Brunson's got a chip on his shoulder right now the size of New York State because he should have been in the All-Star game. Who cares? He didn't need to be there. It was a sham of a game anyway. Can I can I play a rational Knicks fan for you yeah. uh, for just one second? I don't want Joel Embiid. 
I've got Mitchell Robinson. All right. That's our guy. All right. I don't need Joel <laughs> right. Embiid. I've got but our guy be in the trade. Mitchell Robinson. Yeah, I know. The Sixers. I love yeah. Mitchell Robinson. Um, I just wish he could stay he healthy. He killed the Celtics last night. I mean, he was the best big man in the game. He's great. He's great. I'm not afraid of the Celtics. Bring on the Celtics. I am not afraid of anyone in the East. I'm afraid I, of the Knicks. Yes, I think yes. this is twice in a row where they've, they've kind of handed it to the Celtics and each time it's like, Oh, we were off or this happened or that happened. And, I'm at the point where I'm like, I I would just like to see us now beat this team once. Yeah. Now I'm officially like they're on my radar a little bit now. By the way, is it possible that we're better on the road than we are at home? I don't know. It's a crazy thought. You're starting to get the home crowds. The Knicks yeah. home crowd. They're the crowds are starting to show up in a real way again. And that that's been I mean, we've talked about this before and other times you came on. The big loss of not having a competent Knicks franchise for literally two decades, other than one or two seasons, is just losing the crowd. Think, like, there's like four great crowds left. The Knicks have one of them. You can, there's like a Brunson thing going on with the crowd now that's pretty special. And then Josh Hart is like fucking central casting for the MSG crowd. It's like <laughs> oh anything, <my> everything <laughs> they would want from a swing guy. He's oh like a rational God. confidence, yes. six four, going in, getting rebounds. He just can has that kind of look to him. Oh, I love everything about him. Even the three like speaks to us, right? The number three speaks to us. That's John Starks, who played very right? much like that. Can I tell you, um, my favorite part of that game on Monday night wasn't necessarily a player two, was when uh, uh, Tatum, Jason Tatum got got uh, ejected and he was just like rubbing it in, like Josh get Hart, out of yeah, here. No, yeah. He's throwing barbecue sauce on it. I yeah. loved it. I loved it. Not afraid, uh, gets in everyone's grill, hits big shots, is willing to do everything. And yeah, you're right. Uh, MSG is always going to be full. They're always going to get great crowds. But it's always going to be like tourists, people who don't care, who are coming through, you know, like someone who's just uh, from Paris and wants to see a Knicks game. Like, I want to see the true blue Knicks fans back in there. Defense, defense, all that stuff. And we're getting it. And I remember talking to you after the season that we had 2020, 2021. And we were wondering, was that just an anomaly? And last season, it seemed like it was an anomaly. And now it seems like it wasn't. And now they're even better because they have Brunson and Harden, all these guys. And, and Tibbs has clearly proven that he can get the young guys to play. Grimes has been great. McBride has had his moments. Toppin, I still like. I, I, you know, I know he's in the rumors quickly. Been, like they're just a nice deep nine player Toppin's team. A solid guy coming in yes. for six minutes a half. Yeah, I look at the team and pretty much every single guy you have is somebody I would at least trust to be competent in a playoff series. Yeah, and Derrick so Rose doesn't go, even play anymore. Right. You got nine. I like Hartenstein. Like I, I watched him at Clipper games. And I think they figured out how to use them a tiny bit better. Um, but they, in the first part of the season, they didn't really seem to understand what they had, but now they do. But I look at, I, the, I mean, the big question for me as I really like stare at the Knicks from 25,000 feet is the Randall piece. Because when I'm rooting against the Knicks, whether if I bet against them or the Celtics are playing them, I want their offense to slow down in the last four minutes. And I want Randall to have the ball with like 10 seconds left in the shot clock and everyone's standing and him like doing Randall stuff. Uh, That's what I want. What I don't want is for Brunson to have the ball. I don't want the slash and kick stuff. Um, So anyway, Randall, the big question to me is if you get in the playoffs and now like Mitchell's hot on one end and and like, is he still have that mono on mono side or is he going to understand like sometimes I'm not the best matchup? Because against Cleveland, he's not going to be because Mobley is one of the best defensive forwards in the league. Like they'll, they'll welcome that. It's like, oh, you want to be, but the matchup is Brunson in that series because you'd have Mitchell and Garland and neither of them are good on defense. I, I trust 
Brunson explicitly. Like I, I just, I just feel like he is that guy. He is that leader. He's the guy that we haven't had for 20 years, as we talked about. I, I still get worried. Like Randall is the classic, like, no, 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 no. Yes. Type of guy. Right. right? Especially at the end, even last night when they're up like 12 or so, he's chucking threes. Like, man, why are you doing this? Why do you feel the need to do this? And that's what he did against the Hawks in the playoffs two years ago. And that's what he did towards the end of that season. He gets season. that weird look on his face. Yes, he just became... I mean, by the way, at least, you know, we thought that... Remember last year when he was like telling the fans to like F off? Oh yeah, basically? you thought he seemed like a sunk cost. Done. So it's a nice yeah. surprise that he's been able to regain their trust and have this season. But yes, uh, when he gets into the hero ball stuff, it freaking... Like last night I was yelling... And they're up 13 with three minutes to go. My son even asked me, like, why are you so mad at that guy? They're winning by 13. I'm like, because he does this all the time and it drives me nuts. Well, it looks like I think top five is pretty secure unless you have an injury because Brooklyn's going to go backwards. Right. That Miami-Atlanta combo, neither of them, are, I don't think, are going to make a run. So the goal for me would be how do we get the four seed? How do we get a game seven at home? Man. And then the whole part of Mitchell coming back is just crazy. I am I am more scared of Cleveland than others because I really like Mobley. And I, I think if I had to bet on anybody in the last 25 games to kind of go up a notch, I guess we have 20 games left, but that young player who might be ready to have a moment, there's been signs with him. He's been dropping breadcrumbs. And if he goes up a level, then that team becomes way scarier. But I don't know, man. You get a game seven at at, at home against whoever. Probably Cleveland. That's a tough, it's going to be a tough spot. Though, look at you. You look, you, back, you look like you're going to, you look I'm, like you need a cigarette. You yeah, want me to get giddy. your smoking jacket? I'm giddy. <laughs> I'm giddy. This is all I ever wanted. I just want a relevant team playing relevant basketball and porting games at MSG in April and May. That's all I want. That's all every Nick fan wants. Like, we don't need a championship this year. We just want to be respected, relevant, not the laughing stock with a future. And we have that right now. And who knows well, what happens. Well, and you have, you have one other thing. You're now a, a destination again. I think that's I the hope. one thing those guys, Wes and Leon, came in and their their main goal was like, how do we turn this place into a city and a franchise where you'd at least want to have the meeting with us? Because they had even lost that in the 2010s, right? Yeah. So now I think they've percent. regained that. Getting Brunson, I think, was a big deal. And then if you're Brunson... I, that just couldn't have worked out better. You'd be Lucas Caddy on Dallas, right? And oh, instead, you go to New York. York. You're like yeah. the guy. There are people wearing Brunson jerseys in the stands now. Like, you know, your buddies from Villanova gets to come and join you. And it's just like, you can't ask for a better spot for him. Again, if I could be a rational Nick fan, you know what? We don't need the four seed. I'll take the five. We were the four seed in 2020. Go Didn't work Cleveland. out well against the, uh, the Hawks. Let's right. go on the road and let's be the true underdogs. Because I think... Being the 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 four seed and having home court in 2020 or 2021 uh, brought along a lot of pressure on them. Like it was like, oh, you guys got home court, you got to beat the Hawks, and they faltered clearly. So it was maybe that's best. It was a flimsy yeah. Knicks team too. Like they all of a sudden Rose had to play like 40 minutes. In those sure, games. sure, sure. I like the Rose stories about how they were like, we don't want to buy him out. He's too important to like our chemistry and amazing all right? this stuff behind the scenes. There's a lot of good vibes with this team. You can see with the bench too. I haven't seen them in person this year, but um. 
that's going to be one of the things that I know I'm going to love about that team. It really just seems like they all like each other. So look, who would have thought the Knicks might make it as many rounds as the Buffalo Bills in 2023? Wow. Why do you have to say that? Yeah, well, I had to. The, you were too happy. I had, Monday, to yeah. one, I had to throw wow. one there. Shout out Leslie yeah. Frazier. I'm not too mad about it. I know you didn't ask. <laughs> Leslie, take on. your time. <laughs> yeah, take your time, Leslie. By the way, great Leslie, PR spin on that 2027 one. 2027 looks great. Yeah, Come yeah. Thanks, yeah. Thanks for your really, services. That was a classic... Uh, uh, wish you uh, the, the best in your future endeavors tweet from WWE that's like, okay, cool. You're taking the year off. <laughs> right. We'll see you down the line. Thanks, Leslie. Um, all right. So you're coming back on Thursday and we'll talk UFC, but uh, we had to do this little next thing. Good to see you as always. Go Knicks, baby. All right. Thank you. The NBA season is heating up and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel America's number one sportsbook. New customers. You get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back. If first bet doesn't win, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It is safe, it is secure, it is super easy to use, and you can bet on everything from money line to point scores, threes drained, futures, you name it. We have it on Wednesdays. I always put up a same-game parlay that I like or some sort of future bet that I like or something, but I'm going to be doing that on Wednesdays on my Twitter feed. Um, I've been watching a lot of basketball lately, so I would, I would check out what I do on that one. Don't miss the chance not only to check out my my bets, but to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to fanduel.com slash BS. That is fanduel.com slash BS to learn more. And if you're in Massachusetts, my favorite state, I don't know why I don't live there. Get ready because FanDuel is coming soon. Make sure it's like really soon. Like we're talking next 10 days kind of soon. Make sure you check out fanduel.com slash mass, M-A-S-S and take advantage of their great pre-lab offers. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner. The NBA, you must be 21 plus in president select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms. See the full terms. See all the terms at FanDuel.com sportsbook. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe Spring. On the way, warmer temperatures, more time outside, more time away from your home. Do yourself a favor. Make sure you're doing what you can to protect your place and get a Simply Safe home security system, comprehensive protection for your whole home, a great way to keep you and your loved ones safe. What if you're going out for Easter for six hours? You don't think the burglars are going to figure that out? That y'all y'all packed up your car at like 1130 on Easter and you drove off somewhere? Yeah, all they need is an hour. I'm not the only one singing Simply Safe's praises. Simply Safe, named best home security system in 2024 by US News and World Report, recognized for the best customer service and home security by Newsweek. Protect your home today. I use Simply Safe and love it. My listeners get a special 20% off any new Simply Safe system when they sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/bs. Don't wait. That is simplysafe.com/bs. All right, my friend Mike Sure is here. You know, in the horror movies, when there's the one guy in the horror movie who keeps pointing out to everybody else that something bad's going to happen and nobody believes him. And he almost starts to seem annoying after a little while, but then it turns mm -hmm. out he was right. And somebody's coming out of the basement. You've been that way with the Miami Heat on our Celtics text thread all year. <laughs> You've been very focused on it. All these dumb garbage losses. The Heat were like 10 and 12. They were 13 and 14. Like they, they were never a threat. To anyone but you. And now they're still lingering yeah. and we're going to go into how weird their season has been. We're talking about sports hate right now. We don't actually hate these people, 
But we sports hate no certain teams, the Yankees, the Lakers. I sports hate the Heat. I just want them to go away, and I know they won't. This is the problem with the Heat: is they don't go away. They they are they're the equivalent of the Steelers. I would say in the NFL, where like you oh like the Steelers start out like three and seven. You're like this is the year that they fall apart, and at the end of the year somehow they're like whatever nine and eight. And they have another, they still don't have a losing season and they're in the mix going into the last weekend and they might make the playoffs and they're dangerous. If they do, they're dangerous. Nobody wants to play them in the playoffs. That's the Miami Heat. I've been yelling and screaming about this. This is invasion of the body snatchers. And I have been saying the whole year, like, don't let these guys linger. And the problem has been, one of the problems has been these teams that play them, they rest all their guys. They're like, oh, this is the, we don't care. They're a middling team. So like they rest, the Nuggets rest Jokic. And the Bucks rest Giannis. And then the Heat squeak out these two, three-point wins. And you look up and suddenly we are, I said this in our thread the other night, we are careening, careening toward a 2-7 first-round matchup, Celtics-Heat. <laughs> and I am going to be terrified because there is no question that the Heat will zombie come back and like the ga- game three, it'll be 1-1 in game three in Miami, the Heat will be up. 93 to 91 with two and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. And we will be watching our entire season go down the drain. That is my fear. (laughs) Yeah. They lose game two, like 100 to 64. And it's like the worst shooting (laughs) performance in playoff history. And then the next game they're down 10 in the fourth quarter. And all of a sudden it's a 15-0 run and Bam makes the three straight shots with one second Mm -hmm. left on the shot clock falling away from 24 feet fought by Butler careening into three guys and one. All of a sudden you're losing. You don't know what happened. Joe yeah. Mazzulla hasn't called a timeout. And you're like, what just <laughs> happened? We were just up 10, five seconds ago. That's the heat. Yeah, you're up 10. You're up 10 and then Butler gets fouled and goes to the line. And he hits both free throws and you're like, whatever. And then the next time down, he gets fouled again and he goes to the line and he hits both free throws. And then Marcus Smart takes a three, an ill-advised three, and the rebound goes long and suddenly Max Strews hits a three in transition and the 10 point lead is totally gone <laughs> and the crowd is right. losing its mind. And Jimmy Butler on the game is three for five from the field with 41 points because he's hit so many free throws. And that to me, it's not just that they win these games. It's how they win them is so irritating. It's just so endlessly irritating. Let me, I, I did this research. I did some research for you, Bill. Listen to this. Oh, okay. The, the research. The Miami, I didn't realize the, you were bringing research, research to the podcast. I did research. Miami Heat this year are 29th in field goal percentage. They're last in the league in points. They're last, obviously, in field goals made. They are 28th in three-point percentage. They're 26th in rebounds and 23rd in assists. You look at those numbers on paper and you're like, well, that's a lottery team. That's the Orlando match. You left out their That's, negative point differential. They, they're, they're they have been zero point five point differential. <laughs> yes. However, what are they good at? You ask. They are tied for second in free throw percentage. They are third in steals. They are fifth in the fewest turnovers. They win games by turning the ball over uh, off of other teams, not turning the ball over themselves, and hitting free throws. That is the most annoying way that you can be a playoff team in the NBA by far. I did some research as well. And there's Mm. even some more stats than what you just listed. First of all, they're 33 and 29 and they're 22 and 37 against the spread with three pushes. So that doesn't (laughs) tell you, they have 11 more wins than covers, which is like basically impossible. 
Their expected win loss is 30 and 32. Um, 43 of their 62 games so far this year have been close in the last five minutes. And they're yep. 24 and 19 in those games. And then they have all these great stats on NBA.com and you can look at the per 100 numbers in the, just in the last five minutes. And the Heat, as you mentioned, um, you know, bad, bad offense. They're 27th in offensive rating, fourth in defensive rating for the entire game. You get to the last five minutes, all of a sudden they have a 110 offensive rating and a 100 defensive rating per 100 possessions. God damn they it. Suddenly turn, God they turn into the 2004 <laughs> Pistons out of nowhere. They had an 11 game streak that just earlier this, this month of just every game they played was close for 11 straight games. Yeah. Think how long that is. That's like yeah. three straight weeks of just them. Every game comes down the wire. And if you go back and you look at all the recaps, it's like heat rally again. Heat come back again. It's like they're fucking Michael yep. Myers. I hate their guts. It is 100% Michael Myers. It is every game in the last minute. The other, let me, if I may, can I make a public service announcement to the NBA teams that are listening yeah. to this? Here's a public service announcement. At some point in your game against the Miami Heat, one of you will be dribbling into the lane, probably coming off a screen, and you will see one of your teammates flashing from the corner to the low post and you will be tempted to attempt a pass to that player. <laughs> you will not complete that pass will not be completed. Yeah. That pass picked. will be tipped by Gabe Vincent or by Jimmy Butler or by Bam Adebayo and the heat will be running the other way. Do that worked in college and against a zone like the one the heat run. It may have worked in high school. It will not work against the heat. I am so sick of watching these teams. So few NBA play NBA teams play the degree of zone defense that the Heat do that I think sometimes it takes teams a full quarter to remember that they're in a zone. And they and once they are, once they remember, it was like, okay, we know how to do this. Somebody flashes to the high post. We rotate here. We rotate there. They figure, they eventually figure it out and then the Heat adjusts too. But for that quarter, the team that is playing the Heat loses its mind. And they're like, oh, I know how to do it. I'm just going to dump that. This guy's coming in from the corner. I'll dump it. That ball is intercepted. Every one of those passes is intercepted. And that is why they're, whatever it is, top three in turnovers and steals is because teams just forget how to play zone, how to play against a zone. And, and because of that, they win 94-93 because the other teams, that game the other night against the Sixers. Did you watch that game? I, I, that I did. was it's so infuriating. It was like, and the Sixers had a shot to win and Harden had that three to win it. But like, they just utterly fell apart. Like Embiid didn't look like Embiid and Harden didn't even look like Harden. None, and none of their, like uh, Tobias Harris played 35 minutes and scored two points. When's the last time Tobias Harris scored two points in 35 minutes in any game in his entire life? It's got to be when he was in third grade. The last Butler. time he was held to two points. Butler had a play when he drove through two guys, jumped in the air, and did a reverse layup where he basically just threw the ball up in the air. And it went up like 25 feet in the air and somehow yeah. banked in. And it was and the announcer didn't know what to do. He's like, I don't even know how to describe what just happened. So you mentioned they're last in the league in points per game. They have, this was in John Schumann's Monday column. They're the only team in the last 10 years that's seen a bigger season to season drop off in three point percentage. They were they led the league in three point percentage last year, and this year they're uh, they've dropped all the way down. They're thirty three percent. Twenty eighth. They're twenty eighth in the league. Yeah. The only other team that's had a drop off like that season to season 
was the Warriors after they made the finals when Clay Clay got hurt, Durant and left, Steph and Curry played Steph. five games. It's the only other time this has ever happened. Um, That's they amazing. La- they have Lowry, Struess, Oladipo, Vincent, new, new addition Kevin Love and Duncan Robinson are all under 40% from from as for field goal percentage. So yeah. six out of every 10 shots, at least that half, basically two thirds of their rotation takes is going to miss. And yet for mm-hmm. some reason they hang around. So I went, I went, I looked through it. Cause I was like, maybe there's less games than we thought. Right. Just going back to the start of the year. Remember they beat the Kings hero hit the three with two seconds left. They beat the Charlotte and OT. They beat Phoenix by one where they came back from 14th in the fourth and Phoenix missed three game winners to, to so Miami <laughs> could win. They beat the Celtics in OT, 120 to 116 when Butler hit like seven crazy shots. They beat mm-hmm. OKC by two. Harrow hit a game winner with five seconds left and OKC somehow missed two game winners in the last five seconds. They beat mm-hmm. Houston by three. Porter missed a game time three. They beat Minnesota by three. Minnesota never got off a shot. Um, they beat Utah Hero, another game-winning three. That's the other thing. He's like Larry Bird at the end of these games. They yep. beat OKC by one where Butler gets a three-point play. OKC doesn't get a shot off. And that's the game you mentioned. Miami goes 40 for 40 from the line. And that was the game when I was finally like, Mike's right. 40. Mike's, Mike's like, you don't understand. <laughs> they went 40, 40 out of 40 from the free throw. All right, all right Mike's out of something. <laughs> uh, New Orleans, they come back from 15 and win. Boston... We're beating them by 10. All of a sudden, they go on a 15 mm-hmm. zero run, and then Tatum throws the ball away on that zone pass you talk about to lose. Yep. Butler gets a dunk to beat Houston with 0.3 seconds left by two. That uh, was that was the worst one of all of them. That was the worst one yeah, of all actually, of them. Yeah, that actually... Houston might have tanked that one, too. Po- they might have. And there was there are 0.3 seconds left on an inbounds pass. There is only one play they can run. That play is a lob. And the idea that you don't just put in your five tallest guys and guard against the lob right. is insane because no other shot is possible. And they just let Butler come around a double screen. Especially and jump him. Up and, you know what's going to him. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's him or bam. That's it. So that that to me was the I could not believe they should have lost to Houston. They should be losing so many of these games to so many terrible teams and they're eking them out. And then you look up and they're the seventh seed. It's two more. They, they beat it. the Magic in OT. Paolo missed a game-winning drive in regulation. Yep. Now, if you watch him Saw last night, he was a stone-cold killer. And then last night, the Philly game, where they win at the end, and Philly completely falls apart. That's one of the things this Miami team does, is they ratchet up something in the last four minutes, and just and the other team's just completely discombobulated, but you don't even really understand what's happening. It's like like James Harden yesterday. It's just, just misses a six-footer on the baseline. Right? Yeah. It's, it's like, it's a six-footer. You've made 10 million of these, but something Jedi mind trick these teams. And the reason we, the reason Mike and I care is because we know they're looming two seven. And I don't think either of us or any of the other Celtic fans we know have fully recovered from last year. That might, the making the finals, but yet feeling kind of like you lost because it was almost such a disaster. Yeah. Feeling like he got away with something because Jimmy front iron that three. And I, there is a dream scenario that is in front of us. The dream scenario is, Mm. The Celtics get through whatever malaise this is and the Bucks cool off because they won 14 in a row. And the Celtics end up with the one seed and the Bucks are the two seed. And then it's 2-7 Milwaukee, Miami. And mm. Miami Jedi mind tricks the Bucks and knocks them out because the Bucks are the best team in the East, I would say. At least right now they are. They're and the best team. There is a weird, there's a weird chance that Miami 
knocks off the Bucks that like they do to Giannis what they did to Embiid last night and just kind of strangle him, just drag him down into the muck and the sludge that they play in and yeah. slog out a, a six game or seven game victory. But I really think I, I Lebetard the other day asked me who are the five scariest teams in the East to the Celtics. I had the Heat at one. I had the Bucks at two and the Heat at one right, because I, I, it's not. I'm telling you, man. Don't don't bail on me now. I'm telling you, they in the playoffs are the scare. Like I, you know what the Bucks are. The Bucks are excellence, relentless excellence. Drew Holiday. Yeah and Giannis and Brooke Lopez, and you know that all the threes that are coming at you and they have all those other guys, Connaughton and all those guys who can shoot, but you know what they are. You can match up with them. They don't have what the Heat has, which is the dark arts. And I'm telling you, I do not want Miami in the playoffs. I think they're the scariest team, not because they're the best team. They're they're the worst offensive team in the conference. But to me, they're the scariest team to see in the playoffs. They're like, who's that lady in Game of Thrones? The, the witchcraft Cersei? lady? No, oh, no, the, 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 the red, the, the red witch. <laughs> lady in red, or the red witch, whatever that lady was. Yeah. I, uh, I still have Milwaukee one. And to me, it's Knicks heat tied for two. We talked about the Knicks in the last segment. Something about yeah. the Knicks just have like an incredible amount of confidence against the Celtics. I don't really understand it. We've seen it now multiple times. The matchup's yep. a little weird. They got small guards. They're just kind of unorthodox. Tibbs is doing a whole bunch of weird stuff on defense. And the Celtics just don't look comfortable against them. Yeah, you you never know what five guys you're playing. Like last night or the the other day against the Celtics, it was it was quickly just like had like 19 yeah. points, and it was like the game before that he didn't play. And it uh, he he is there's something about you and I have also talked about the Clippers and how the Clippers match up against the Celtics, where it's just hundreds of wings just flying in one after another. Just and it there it's a little different now after the trade deadline, but like. They just had so many guys who were just mm. rangy scorers. And it was like, you never knew. It was like an eight-headed, like uh, a Medusa. They, you just never knew where it was coming from. The Knicks feel that way to be too. I had the Knicks as one of the five uh, toughest matchups for the Celtics. And Levitard laughed at me, but I was like, no, they're scary to me. They, they're weird, sneaky, good team with a lot of guys who just, who just seem like they know what they're doing. And Amin Hassan was saying the other night, like... Josh Hart makes them a little better in terms of it, like the acumen, the defensive acumen. Like he's that's a that was an upgrade for them. Like Brunson is a legit like yeah. guy can score at any time kind of a guy. Like they're they're way scarier now than and they that, were at the beginning. It's like year a chip me. on the shoulder with that team too. You know what's really annoying about this Miami thing? We we should be we should be rid of them. They should be gone. Because I was looking back yeah. at all their moves. I went, yes. there's this website where you can look at every team's transactions, basically like for their entire franchise history, which is pretty alarming if you're a Sacramento Kings fan. Um, <laughs> but since they made since they made the bubble finals, <laughs> here, here are all their moves. They paid Myers Leonard two for 20. That worked out about as badly as it can go. Avery Bradley one for six. He was done. They mm -hmm. traded Kelly Olynyk, who's kind of turned into a semi-asset, I think. Bradley... And a 2022 pick swap mm -hmm. for Victor Oladipo, who's either been hurt or can't make a shot ever since they got him. They gave Duncan Robinson five for 90. One of the top five worst contracts in the league now. Amazing. 2021 summer, they signed Deadman Struess, Vincent Marquise Morris. And they traded Dragic for Pre and Precious for Kyle Lowry and paid Kyle Lowry three years, 85 million, which is a top 10 worst contract. They paid PJ Tucker for a year, but let him leave. Mm-hmm. 
They paid Caleb Barton three for 20.5. They paid Old Depot two for 18 and a half. Now they just took a chance on Kevin Love, Cody Zeller. This is not like ringmaster Pat Riley, you know, pulling all the strings and, oh, he did it again. It's like, this is incompetence for three years and they're still good. These are bad moves. Yeah, they're bad moves. And yeah, when you're paying Kyle Lowry 28 and you're paying Duncan Robinson 25, again, you're a lottery team. That's that's what's so infuriating is like they should be, they sh- it should be like, oh God, this was a total disaster. They're eight games under 500. They're 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 clinging to yeah. The, this is the it's sad. It's like oh man, it'd be sad if they didn't make the like playoffs. The t- I'd feel bad for Jimmy Butler. They should be at that stage. Yeah, and Jimmy Butler's for Jimmy Butler's. He's forcing his way out. Yeah. Bam is talking about wanting to go play right with, with De'Aaron the Kings Fox and Monk yeah. because he wants to be part of a winning franchise. <laughs> yeah, that's that's again. It's like they uh, on paper they are a lottery team, and yet they're not only not a lottery team, they're they're going to be in the six seven spot for the rest of the season, and they're going to be very scary. Well, our one hope is if they win their division, I don't think they can go lower than six. I think so. If they if they can hold off the Hawks, they only have one game right. one game up on the Hawks, who just hired a new coach and have been a mess all year. But if they can, if the Hawks can somehow pass Miami, we don't have to worry about this team. I hope we reverse jinx them with this entire segment. Um, before you go, though, we have to talk um, a little Red Sox and a little a little Bloom, right? Who you just think you can't you think it can't get worse since the Mookie trade. And then there's a story about this guy who fell to the fourth round, a potential ace pitcher, but he was in Navy. So they're kind of stashing him. If he wasn't going to Navy, he would have been a first round pick. It's just kind of lingering over there. I I, I got to admit, mm-hmm. I hadn't really thought about him. And then the Phillies swipe him. I had He's neither. a rule five guy. They swipe him. And then it becomes, whoa, the Phillies think they might have gotten an ace. And it's like, wait, this guy's going to pitch? Yeah, he's getting out of the Navy pretty soon. It's like, what? <laughs> we we couldn't have kept him on our 40-man <laughs> roster. Have you seen the 40-man <laughs> roster? And it's just ever since the 2018 World Series, yeah. our owner's getting booed. All of our good players are gone except Raphael Devers. Nobody feels bad for us. People get mad when we complain. And it's just Mm-mm. the worst place to be. Nobody wants to hear us, bitch. The team's going to suck. The over-under is 77 in Vegas, the two of the most expensive players of the yep. team, we have no idea if we're going to see them even in the first half of the year, maybe all year. Have you ever looked forward to a Red Sox season less since like the early 80s? I don't think I have. I mean, even in the dark years in the mid-teens here, you had like Mookie yeah. came up and it was like, well, we know we have that to look forward to. We had Bogarts. I, I, I blame myself for this. Yeah, and Bogarts. I blame myself for this in part because after 2018, I was largely in favor of everything the team did, including signing yeah, Chris that was, Sale. That was, a, that was a big L for you. And he's now... Yeah, it's a, it took a, I took a huge L on that. And I thought like... I don't know. I was I was blinded by him striking out Machado to end the World Series and was like, this is <laughs> our guy. Like, I want him around forever. <laughs> and he's now in, in four years, he will have pitched what, like... 30 total games or something. And he's made out of very fine porcelain that is cracking every seam. And, and that has like set the tone, like all of the, all they signed, re-signed Steve Pierce after that world series. Like they made so many mistakes starting right after Duquette in the last, uh, Duquette, 
in the in the last administration, they made they made a ton of mistakes right away, and they've continued to make them. And now there's basically what are the reasons to like the team? It's basically Casas is exciting to like have a legit first baseman is like interesting. That's a mildly interesting development. There's some interest in whether like Kike Hernandez can recover and Verdugo can recover. Verdugo got off to a terrible start in those, a very unlucky start in those first two, three months last year. And then heated up and played like the guy they thought they were getting when they traded Mookie bets for him. Um, so there's some like bounce back potential, but like if they're 500, it's like a win. And so you just going into those years where that's the case, it's just such a it's such a bummer. It's such a bummer to know that you're not going to be competitive. Before yeah, the season it's, it's a starts. weird thing to commit to because you don't also want to leave the back door open for all of a sudden they're 12 and five with like the team that nobody believed in. And you're like, oh, I'd, I'd. but yeah, it's, there's not a lot to look forward to. And it, right. The 2013. Thing, I also yeah. I got to say, like. The 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 dark Red Sox DNA is has kind of surfaced for me when you think like the last title was 2018, the Mookie Betts trade, which was just reprehensible as it was happening, and now is like a hundred times worse. And it just seems like it's set off. Mm-hmm. You know, now we're going to be in year five here of of this not looking great, and I just wonder like is is should we? I I'm already retroactively going. Should I have enjoyed? the 04 to 18 run more. Like I'm mad at myself. Like, why didn't I treasure this? Why did I think this was going to continue? Why didn't I understand that this was, this could be pulled for me at any time? Cause that's not how I feel. Do you think, do you think you didn't treasure it? I, I, feel I like just I felt like it was going to keep going. I, like I, I felt I like I was like, this like is the new Red Sox. The Here we are. We got, we finally have owners that are spending money. We fixed the park. Like this is us. It's not us. Well, I think you got to look at it like this. I mean, first of all, it's hilarious that as two lifelong Red Sox fans, you're like, oh, we haven't won <laughs> no. since 2018. Thank That's you. an amazing thing you just said. But also, you got to remember, like, 2004, like, five, six, seven were all good years. They made the playoffs. They lost the first round in 2005. They were pretty good in 06. I don't think they made the playoffs. That was a Ortiz fun year. Had, like, yeah. That was a year Ortiz had 54 home runs or whatever. Fun year. Seven, they win. Eight could have won. Then, like, between then and 2013, like, they absolutely could have. Tampa Bay ate their lunch. But then, like, there was the miserable year in 2011 where they they blew the enormous. It was the fried chicken and beer and video games or whatever. That was very bad. Then they're terrible in 2012. They come out of nowhere to win in 2013. And then they go into the doldrums again. Like, it hasn't been... We have not been the recent like last decade yeah, that's Dodgers fair. or the Cardinals who were just like always winning their it's it's been an up and down thing and like 2018 2013 they were absolute they went from last to first in 28 in 2013 and then went to last again like it has been a an up and down thing and so i don't like the roller coaster's fine with me like there's they've had so much winning it's hard to complain about it what i'm worried about is i always felt in those years that there was a stewardship yeah. that made sense to me. Like I understood what they were doing. I understood the moves they were making and I got why they were doing what they're doing. Starting with Mookie getting traded and continuing through a bunch of the signings and a bunch of the, and then the Xander thing, this has led me to a feeling, a very shaky feeling that we haven't had in a long time, which is, I don't know if they have a plan. Like I don't, and they keep saying they do, they say they believe in bloom and they say that they, 
you know, that they they have this strategy or whatever. And maybe they do, but like it is the it's the first time in this crazy run of of success where it has genuinely felt to me like, oh no, they might not have a grip on this. And that's what's unsettling to me. It's I can take the losing. I those seasons between World Series wins, those seasons where they sucked were fine. They rolled off my back. But the the weird mediocrity and the letting go of these huge stars, these guys who should have retired in the uniform, that's the part where I'm like, oh boy. Like they I think what you saw from the deals that like the Braves have been yeah. signing with their young stars, the deals the Padres Mariners. have been signing, the Mets have been signing. I think, yeah, I it's hard not to conclude that in the last two, three, four years, they have dramatically underestimated the market for these guys. And that they were they were just playing a sort of old playbook of like, we're not, I mean, that rumor that they gave, they offered Xander a four-year extension for like $90 million. And then, and he was like, go bleep yourselves. And then the next year, all those guys got 250, 300, 350, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 years. Like, I think they were a step behind what a bunch of other GMs and teams knew what at their level knew what was happening. And so they then had to scramble and play catch up just to sign Devers after Mookie and Xander were already gone. They had to desperately cling to one guy just to keep him in the fold. And you look at the Padres, the Padres have stacked their roster with 10 year contracts going out to 2033. They, they have, Three guys on three stars under contract in the year 2033 <laughs> for like a total of a hundred million dollars. And and you know they're gonna go after Soto and they might go after Otani. And like like all these other teams just lapped them in terms of locking up stars to long-term contracts. Now, if Tatis doesn't come back, maybe they look stupid, but you can't say that they don't have a plan, that they don't have an they that they don't see a horizon or they're not aiming at anything. It feels to me like the Red Sox have been at sea and don't have a North Star by which they're navigating with their roster. That's the scary thing. All those relievers they rolled out last year, all those terrible, mediocre relievers. The How about throwing lack away of first base? Remember the when one we just guy threw away the first base position for an entire season? Yeah. Yes. And they had, and like they've had guys like they had Renfro and Wright, who wasn't amazing, but hit 28 home runs or whatever. You know, they had Schwarber on their yeah. team in the playoffs. They could have signed, re-signed Schwarber. And, you know, like, and, you know, Schwarber hits 213 or whatever for the Phillies, but he also hits 40 home runs and he got better at first as the year went on. Like, he's an athlete. He knows what he's doing. They just kept, they kept saying no and they never said yes. Like, they they kept letting guys go or saying, no, we're not going to re-up you, but it was unclear and then you end up who with they were saying yes to. They didn't yeah, seem to have guys. Yeah, you end up with Trevor Story with a bad elbow. Who yeah. You get a discount on because he has a bad with, elbow. With a bad yeah. elbow that everyone um, knows. Right. I yeah, think exactly. the no plan thing, yeah, that's the, the no scary plan thing rudderlessness is the difference. And it reminds me of some of the teams I rooted for growing up, right? Like a, like a lot of Patriots teams are like, wow, the Patriots are a fucking mess. They're trading out of the Jerry Rice pick <laughs> and just doing all kinds of stuff. Um, and then the Celtics in the yeah. early 2000s, very similar. Like I remember they, when they traded Joe Johnson and a number one pick 
for Tony Delk and Rodney Rogers. It's like, we're going for it. It's like, but why'd you throw in the number one pick? I don't understand that part. Joe Johnson was the 10th pick in the draft. Why do we also have to give up? A, so it was just, where you're just watching from afar going, am I smarter than the guys running my favorite team? You never want to feel like, like you're smarter than the people who actually get paid to do this. Like Hench always says, the guy, the guy who runs the Red Sox yeah. stats Twitter account, which we all think is like a great Twitter account. We were like, if that guy was running the team, I'd actually feel better. Yeah, he put, He's putting real thought. He's looking at uh, color-coded yeah. pitch counts. I'm like, I at least, that guy's putting the work in. I'd give him a chance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's also like really on it when it comes to like the guys in the minors who, yeah. were, who were interesting. Like he's always like, look at this guy. Like, look at these last eight innings that he's thrown. Like, this is, you know, 18 strikeouts in one walk. Like this guy in low A is making some moves. Yeah, I agree. And it, I, it has to be the case that the Red Sox reach research department is doing the I same work. So. I just, it's very hot right now. It's very foggy. It's very hazy. It's very hard to understand what it is that they're after. Well, are you ready roster. for, so yeah. Are when you a, ready when for a plastic guy, surgery baseball? What? Baseball went in. They got little light. I am ready for it. I'm psyched for it. <laughs> they, got their, they got a little facelift. They did. They, they lifted Botox. the forehead. They got. The <laughs> <laughs> I'm, are you excited for it? I am. I'm legitimately excited They did two things that I've been waiting forever for them to do. One was endless pickoffs can no longer happen. I always thought the pickoff, I just, you just right. could have given me like a line where that nobody could take a lead past the line and I would have been good. No, who, the pickoff is the worst play in sports. So I was glad they got rid of that. And then the pitch count thing, mm -hmm. we've been waiting for it, right? How many times can we watch somebody scratch their balls? So we'll see yep. if it works. And I know it's going to be clumsy. It'll be <laughs> clumsy for the first month. Somebody will lose a game because of the of pitch count thing and everyone will go nuts. Mm -hmm. But once they get the rhythm of it, I think it's going to work. And then the games are going to be shorter. They'll be more fun to watch. And I'll probably watch more baseball. Like, don't you feel the same? A hundred percent. They're they're cutting out a half hour of time yeah. when nothing happens in the game. That's the thing. We're not losing an inning. We're not losing the fourth inning. We're losing dead time. And I don't know if you saw this, but that uh, wet the handle Twitter handle uh, pitching ninja put up a side by side thing, which was Landon Knack of the Dodgers throwing a complete one third of an inning, getting three outs. And it was it was put side by side with a video of Pedro Baez throwing a single pitch to David oh Ross in the God. 2016 playoffs. And the time it took Pedro Baez to throw one pitch, they didn't. They had they, an entire third of an inning went by, and that is there is no like I think people are dramatically underestimating from a fan standpoint how much more it's going to feel like an NBA. Great, game. it's going to be like it's going to. There's a shot clock now. It's going to and it's the games are going to feel like. You have to pay attention. There is no, like we are, this is a moving train. There, that guy put up another video, by the way, uh, from I think 2019, where the entire 2019 Kentucky Derby was overlaid between two pitches that Zach Grinke <laughs> threw to Ozzy Albies in a game. Literally, it was between the time that the pitches came in because he yeah. stepped off, they had a catcher meeting, the guy, Ozzy Albies stepped out, whatever. They ran the entire 2019 Kentucky Derby in the time at, between two different pitches that Granky threw. So it is going to feel like a new sport in a really good way. I think the bigger bases are great because I think more people are going to try to steal, which is exciting. I think there's a lot of stuff that is going to make the game feel like, oh, I, I can watch this now. And the biggest thing, I said this to Joe Posnanski on our podcast the other day, if you are 
if you're Major League Baseball, one of your biggest problems is a large number of your marquee players play in the West. It's it's all of mm. the Padres guys, Shohei Otani, Mookie Betts. Nobody watches those guys because they come on at 10 p.m. on the East Coast. Now, if the games are faster, if Otani's pitching, and that game's on ESPN, you might say, hey, I, I need to be in bed at 11, but I can watch five innings. I can watch Otani pitch for five innings, and I can watch him hit at least twice in an hour. And so I, they're much more likely now, I think, to watch those games, those West Coast games on the East Coast. Again, that's great. So... This is all, I think this is long overdue and I'm very excited to see how it plays out. I am excited because we had reached the point of no return. It was actually getting worse. We were all complaining about yeah. it, but it was getting longer and worse and dumber. And even the basics. I, I, did they bring back the bullpen car though? <laughs> I always felt like the bullpen car could have saved us like two minutes. Remember when we were kids, the Red Sox had that awesome helmet car. That was like the highlight of every game yeah. when the helmet car came out. It's the best. Yeah, it was the best, but they they do have a clock on the guy. There's a clock on the change itself, the pitching change itself. So those guys run in now. They're all like oh, Turk Wendell wow. when when like the gates open, they like charge they charge in from the bullpen because, or at least they jog because it's there's whatever two two minutes and fifteen seconds between the time that the call is made and the and the first pitch. So like they they can walk, they just won't get. I love able it. To warm I'm so up. glad they did it. So yeah, it's getting better, and I I trust Theo. I am too. I am too. Right. I trust the. Uh, what do you got? Where you want to plug anything before we go? Uh, I want to plug um, whoever's playing the Heat this week. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of yours, and I and I I wish you luck, and I hope you win. <laughs> All right, Mike Sure, good to see you. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights bad weather, you want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay, that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because... I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. All right, we're taping this on a Monday. It's running Tuesday. Kevin O'Connor is here from The Ringer. Tate Frazier, employee number one. Yeah, honestly. Ringer. First one in my driveway we met. Uh, you left a couple years ago. Now you're back. You're going to be 
what do we call it? Rejuvenating the old one shiny pod feed? Yeah, that sounds like a good word for it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, saddling back up, talking about college basketball in the Ringer universe, something I, uh, you know, started a long time ago with Mallory Rubin back in the day. The oh, pivot. my God. Remember yeah. the pivot? The pivot. Long time ago. Uh, back then, I couldn't even form words, barely. But uh, you said, hey, let's see what happens with this kid. You gave me a shot, and now I'm back. I'm excited. Now you're back doing that. We're going to be doing a FanDuel TV thing as well. KSC was, I think, in the running for most excited. Kyle was the most excited. <laughs> Kyle was definitely the most Because he had, he had the tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kyle, uh, you know, when he did that, I, uh, you know, in my heart of hearts, I was like, I hope that this works out well for Kyle. You know, that was 2018, I think, you know, five years ago when that <sighs> happened. Um Listen, you're not the first person who said, I hope this works out for Kyle. <laughs> this is a recurring refrain in the in the Simmons Creighton family. And it, it worked out great because, you know, now I have a reason to come back to do OSP. You know, we, we tinkered with some names, some ideas, but at the end of the day, it comes back to Kyle's arm, you know, and that's why I'm going to work hard because I want Kyle's arm to make sense, you know, because for the past <laughs> few years, it made no sense. <laughs> it's a nice looking tattoo. Yeah, it looks least. good. It looks good. Kyle's arm meaning. would have been a good subtitle for the podcast, right, maybe. Right, right. Maybe a segment, Kyle's arm. Yeah. yeah. Kyle's arm. <laughs> Listen, Kyle's all about uh doing little running segments about right. how weird his life is. <laughs> He's very excited. We're very excited. It's good to have you back, and we're getting you right in the heart of this uh absolutely bizarre college basketball season where you would have just thought Houston being kind of the number one team all year, that's weird enough, right? Like I, I grew yeah. up with five slam and jam a hundred million years ago, but just Houston being kind of the the non-blue bud party crasher. So, and then we have this Alabama stuff, which even for college sports, pretty horrible. Yeah, as someone that has uh, covered college sports for quite some time, you know, the NIL came in, right? And then everyone said, look, our conscience, it's clean. We don't have to worry about all the bad stuff. Things are getting better in college basketball. Mm -hmm. And every single year, it seems like we try to kick the can. We say things are getting better. Uh, it's not as bad as it was, guys. You can feel better about watching it. Um, but then there's always a story that comes out. And, you know, unfortunately, Alabama is the second story this year of something that is so heinous. You know, New Mexico State, you know, not a top team, but that was a, a whole nother bag of worms that we didn't want to dive into. So college basketball consistently, no matter who is in charge, no matter who's playing, it just seems like there's some sort of story that we have to talk about that's not fun. You know what I mean? So that's the bad part about college basketball, but um, I call it the bag part, the B-A-G part. So it's a, it's a lot of bag involved, and uh, that's what we deal with. It's amazing how much this has been botched by Alabama. Oh, man. I thought their athletic director, he went on College Game Day podcast. I feel like he handled it the best, talking like 20, 30 minutes to open their show about a lot of the details that haven't been leaked, that aren't on social media, about, you know, the text messages that Brandon Miller received prior to the one that did leak about, you know, bringing a gun. It's just that all of it has been totally mismanaged from the coaching, the Alabama, the pat down before their last game. I mean... The yeah. pat down was rough because uh, it was like, how how can this be handled worse? And then you have the walk on, and the walk on got blamed. I mean, they, they were like, the, <laughs> right. it's the walk on's fault. It's uh, it, he's the one that did this. He was an independent operator. That's what they said. So he's the one that's taking the fall for it. I think the crazy part to me, and you know, KOC and I were texting about this, is that Nate Oates is obviously got a great PR team prior to the past couple of months. You know, people were talking about how great of a coach he was. Mm. People were looking at his buyout. Should he go to Texas? Should he go here? Should North Carolina? You should have hired, you know, Nate Oates. These are the things that were being discussed. And I think what we learned in this situation is that Nate Oates is nothing more than Mark Gottfried 2.0. You know, he is just the godfather. He just happens to have a better PR team. And he might be a better basketball coach, but he still is wading in those same waters. And, uh, 
as an Alabama, if you're an Alabama fan and you watch this team, you can't help but like the talent. But then there's just that murkiness that's in the background. And now we're dealing with statements and, you know, timelines and things like that. And I just want to talk about basketball. So that's the unfortunate part about Alabama. Uh, and all he wants to do is draw up plays. That's what he said about he didn't know they did the pat down thing in the intros. He's like, I- I'm not, I'm drawing up plays at the time. Right. So there's just on. too there's too much of a, a sideshow mm-hmm. at this point now. Too many distractions. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. You would have thought when Coach K left <laughs> that we'd finally be safe. Now, yeah. Now that... uh the arch villain of all time has gone. <laughs> I'm just doing this for Tate. Tate, Tate yeah, this is actually, this is amazing. Just trying to get the impression out of him. <laughs> I know Tate and I are going to watch. What's it called? Chasing greatness. Chasing greatness. LeBron James, Coach K, a 30 minute sit down interview, head to head, eye to eye, talking about how much they love each other. How we're going to watch this while other. we're getting fire hosed. <laughs> <laughs> how can we torture ourselves as we watch that? I, don't I know. can't think of a worse way to spend a half hour. I just know I'll be screaming. This is my nightmare as uh, it turns uh, to the second commercial break. Yeah. I did find myself <laughs> liking him one or two times during the Redeem Team doc. And then like instantly hating myself because he had that one speech. He was dropping a couple of F-bombs. <laughs> he seemed like relatively human for the most part. Right, right. And I and and I was kind of getting roped in. And I was like, is this how it happens? The f- these guys get sucked into his world? The funniest thing to me with Kay is that, you know, obviously, you know, 04, Larry Brown, they forced those guys, the young guys to play with them. You know, Larry Brown's yeah. like, I don't want any of these guys on the team. They all come. They're arguing about playing time. And then Coach K comes in and Coach K says, you know what? I'm bringing in Kobe. Um, so if you're LeBron at that point, I, I would assume that you're probably a little upset about that, that you're bringing in like the actual alpha dog to come into this team. But the way that history has been rewritten with these guys and with LeBron and with K, yeah. they act like, oh yeah, LeBron loved that. LeBron loved that idea. And I think at the time that probably wasn't the case. No, I think they brought him in as like, <laughs> a mercy play ball or not? Because we have Kobe here. Yeah. So LeBron, you are you in this time or what's going on? Exactly. Yeah, I, um, Brandon Miller is the third ranked guy in your draft guide, KSC. Mm. And he had 41 points after all of this happened and was magnificent. And it was a very strange sports experience to watch that because the stuff he was doing for a freshman in college was really advanced. You compared him to Paul George in your uh, like in your that. draft guide. This draft did not need more drama, intrigue. Like this was already like the the biggest draft we were gonna have. I don't know, at least in how many years? At least in the last ten. Since definitely Zion, since I've yeah, known you. Sure. I mean, the Zion one was pretty big as well. You know, a lot of hype around him, but nobody since you know around Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson, also a high level mm. player as well. And then Miller seems like he, if the, if that's the third pick in the draft, that's somebody who could potentially be the number one scorer on a contender. Yeah, right? and the way Brandon Miller has grown this year as a talent, I mean, like, I interviewed him in December. It was the game Alabama-Houston mm. that Houston lost at home. Alabama won on the road, and Miller was not good that game. He was, like, one for nine. He hit some clutch free throws down the stretch of the game. But I interviewed him the day before that, and we talked a lot about some of his flaws on the court. We talked about his at-room finishing. He was shooting, like, 32% inside the arc at that point of the season. He's at, like, 72% at the rim. And since mid-December. Jesus. And it's, it's the improvement with his hesitation dribbles, use, lowering his shoulder, using his offhand, you know, these tough off-balance finishes against contact. He improved on his biggest weakness at doing exactly the things that we talked about at the time. And he's like, I'm going to get better. He's like, I'm not worried about it. I'm lean. I'm so skinny right now. I'm going to get stronger. I need to improve at these micro skills. And it's like, oh, my God, it's happened. So Would he, you have called him a short thing? 
Like before all of this so happened? I, I moved him to three in November and that was like, you know, written in like really light pencil. Like I was like, yeah, he feels like the third best prospect. He's six foot nine. He can shoot off the dribble. He can create his own shot. He's got a flamethrower from behind the arc. He, he, you know, he can defend. He has versatility. He can pass a little bit. We saw that earlier in the year too. He's asked to score for that team, but he can pass as well. We see that feel for the game. So, but ever since then, he's definitely solidified. You know, it's like written in ink now. I, I will not move him lower than three. I think there's certain. Well, he might be moving himself if more well, if the wrong kind of news comes out. That's what. That's what's so crazy the, yes. about this story is. I think one of the best prospects to ever be involved in something this unseemly, Tate, that I can think of. Yeah, and it's what's crazy just from a college basketball standpoint. When you look at KOC's draft guide, the top five guys, there's only one college player, and that's yeah. Brandon Miller. You know, so right. I mean, that, Amen and Oscar Thompson. Exactly. That, yeah. And I've seen the Thompsons. I think they're very talented. It makes sense. They'd be top five guys. They're great athletes. So when you look at the top five from a college basketball standpoint, the one guy that you hang your hat on, you say, I'm pulling for him as a college basketball guy is Brandon Miller. Yeah. And Brandon Miller, by all accounts, was, you know, great in interviews. Everyone says he's a great kid, says he kind of kind of keeps to himself and is obviously a great player. And when I looked at him originally this year, I said, oh, my God, that's Jabari Smith Jr., but he can dribble. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. Like that's really the the difference between him and Jabari last year. And and as I'm looking at the, uh, you know, all of the advanced analytics on shooting this year, it's like Paolo Bancaro and Jabari Smith are both just taking a bunch of jumpers and missing a bunch of jumpers. You know, and Brandon Miller is a great shooter, and I think he can develop into a great scorer. And I even heard some people before all this happened that they were saying, well, maybe if it fits your team, you might take Brandon Miller even over Scoot if it made Number sense. Number two, and there mm. are certain teams that have loaded at guard, and you'd think they might take Brandon like Miller. Like the Pistons. And, and, and Until that, that Scoot picture it, came out a couple of days well, ago when Scoot he looked looks, like he was 30 yeah. years old. Yeah, I'll take Scoot. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, and and, that, and that's why with Miller, like it fe- feels like he's locked in at three, but then this happens, and suddenly you're like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. Well, and also there's the possibility... I don't know. He could get the plug pulled on him tomorrow if more stuff comes yep. out. I don't love how any of this was handled from an optics standpoint, especially because, you know, somebody died. Yes. We don't know it's all the horrible. details yet. There doesn't seem like there's a level of remorse from him, from the coach, from the team. And this is kind of where college sports falls apart for me and why, you know, I you're younger than me and you you grew up in Carolina mm-hmm. and you love it. Like this is your thing. <laughs> and I used to I used to I never had the team, right? I had the the bandwagons Koozie, I would jump though. on. Yeah, Koozie way back for us <laughs> for um but the unseemliness of college sports really started to wear on me over the years. And this is like yet another example where it's like, man, I feel like nobody is in charge. Yes. Which has been the recurring theme, right? With the NIL, like whatever you want to go, it always comes back to there's a rudderlessness with college sports and especially football and basketball. And this is a great example. If this was a professional sports league, this guy would go away until they figured out what happened. Whether that's right or not right, you have to pull him out and kind of figure out what happened. And in college sports, he's playing on a Saturday. And what's crazy to me is, you know, you have a guy like Jay Billis, who's obviously a lawyer who is in the thick of this conversation, and he's arguing on the other side and saying Brandon Miller has rights. Brandon Miller is being treated as a witness. He's not being treated as someone that was a part of the actual crime. So that's the other side of the equation, too, where the fact that we have to know all of these legal terms and we have to know all this legal jargon that's not what college sports should be about. And the fact that it's happened so many times over the years with different situations and the fact that we're bringing up Dave Bliss, you know what I mean? I mean, th- this is 
this is not where you want to be in. And, and especially in a time when college basketball is supposed to be better, you know, that was the whole pitch. Yeah, it's getting better. Lessons. Yeah. We're not going to, we're not going to take advantage it hurts of these nobody kids. if he takes 10 days off and just like, Hey, let's see that, you know, somebody's died. Let's take a step back and see what happened. And instead he had the best game of his, his freshman career, 41. Yeah. And you look at that and you go, man, this guy was able to compartmentalize all of this stuff and lock all of it out and have this great game. In a weird way, it made him even a loftier prospect because it was like, if this guy can deal with this and play well, that says something. But on the other hand, he shouldn't have played at all. Mm-hmm. So, and this is like that constant conundrum with college sports where you just feel dirty yeah. all the time. Football is worse, but basketball is probably second. And I texted KOC this. I mean, totally different scenarios and situations. But when I was watching Miller in that game against South Carolina, it reminded me of Cam Newton when he played Georgia. When all of it came out there that Cecil had gotten $250,000 yeah. and they were saying he shouldn't be playing in this game and then Auburn's down early and then they go on this amazing... I think they ended up winning 28-27. They were down 21-0 to zero or something like that. But it was like, wow, this one singular guy, Cam Newton, did this. That's insane. And then he goes and he, he elevates himself to be the number one pick and yada, yada, yada. The, the rest is kind of the story. But with Brandon Miller, I just... You know, he is so talented and they're trying to win the national championship. I mean, right. I think that is what is the kind of the elephant in the room, right, for everybody. That's why we all kind of feel a little bit sick about it because it's obvious that they're putting the team and the chance to win a championship over all the other stuff outside the court. And as human beings, we say that's a little messed up. You know, that's yeah. that's not what we wanted when we when we talk about college he, basketball. He should not have played that game. No. I mean, it, it's the, the way NBA people talk about it is exactly as you said, Bill. It's like this, you know, kid who we don't know all the full details yet. It sounds like depending on everything we've heard, it seems like he's, like you said, not being treated as a suspect here. Just as a, a, there's videotape that we have not seen yet. I'm sure the police has. There's all the text messages that we have not seen, like an hour's worth prior to the one that did leak. Yep. We have not seen that. The police have. So we don't know all the details they do. But he shouldn't have been playing, considering mm-hmm. everything that we're talking about. With that said, though, NBA people talk about this, like, this kid who's going through all of this right now, the crowd chanting, lock him up, still had the best game of his career, is at least an example of his ability to withstand adversity and play at a high level through it. He hit the game-tying layup at the end of regulation, the game Left-handed. winner at the end of overtime. Mm-hmm. In that game with all of that happening, it, it does say something about his at least mental makeup and his approach to the game, but we still don't know all the details. And so it's so hard to talk about. And it's even harder, too, because he's playing Gigi Jackson, who was the number one player in the 2023 yeah. class, who reclassed and goes to South Carolina. So it's not like he's playing the Houston Rockets. You know what I mean? He's he's playing this team and this guy who was supposed to be a head-to-head competitor, and he outplayed him. I mean, he outdueled him head-to-head, and that was the other part of it. And the worst part is we can't even talk about it because we got to talk about all this other crap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those those impossible stories. Yes. Because on the one hand, he might not have done anything wrong and we don't know all the facts yet and he has the right to continue his life. On the other hand, it's crazy that he played. Yeah, it's And crazy. he should have taken 10 days off and this is what happens when nobody is overseeing anything, which is the constant theme of college sports. And then everybody wants to kick the can and point the finger at somebody else. And yeah. every other kind, like Auburn right now is celebrating because they look at Alabama 
And when I brought up the Cam Newton thing, that was them 10, 10 years ago. You know, it's like everyone just hopes that you don't have the finger pointed at you. You know, that that's what college sports is. You just try to kick the can. Patino's like, hey, I'm I'm on I'm on hold if you guys want me to come in. If you need to I'm find ready. notes. I'm ready. One thing about uh Miller, just as a prospect, when the in the ESPN top one hundred last year, he was ninth. Right. Mm-hmm. And the the top two players were lively and whitehead, both of who went to Duke. And Miller ends up ninth, but now he's the best guy from that class. These, these things, when I love looking through the ESPN top 100s, they're so funny, like what they're they so get wrong, wrong yeah. and what they get right, but mostly what they get wrong. Um, I want that job. That, that's what I want my job to be. I want to make that list every year because so, it doesn't seem to matter. Well, like recently, Jonathan Gavoni made his top 10 2024 NBA draft thing and he had Bronny James 10th, mm. who I'm not even sure is one of the five best players in LA right now. Mm. Like we had a guy in Centennial, Jared McLean, who just won his third straight title, who went head to head against Sierra Canyon and was the best guy in the game. They're the same age. So I, I don't know what to make any of these lists, but when I see somebody like Miller be ninth, is that a miss or did he get better in the last year? He got better. For yeah, sure. okay. I think he got better, he but it, it, that list is always a miss. I mean, especially if you look at the top two guys. I mean, I like Lively. I think he's a good rim protector. If I were to compare Lively to someone in the NBA, like a Nick Richards maybe is someone that he could be, but he's not the number one player in the sure. class. And, and like you look at the players ahead of Miller on that list. Ware at eight, Filipowski at seven, George at six, Bailey at five, Mitchell at four, Nick Smith at three, Derek Whitehead at two, Derek, Derek Lively at one. I get it. I, I do get it with a lot of those guys. With Miller, it's the he was like more of just like a purely a skinny mid-range pull-up shooter. He's extended his range to three and improved that rim like we just talked about. And he's done it on a high volume and he hasn't needed to show his show off his playmaking, which I think is what he's gonna show in the NBA. Um, so with Miller, I, I get that ranking at number nine. Um, but at the same time, it shows how hard this is where like a Derek Whitehead and Derek Lively both completely underwhelming this year at Duke, even though Lively has been a bit better in recent weeks. Yeah, it's also these are COVID recruitments right here. Yep. You know, this is mm. these are COVID classes. So you have to almost kind of look at it with a grain of salt. I mean, it could be something that can advise you in a way to look at these guys. But also that was the he- the hesitation I had with the entire class. I'm like, I'm not sure any of these guys are rated properly, um, which is fascinating. The 2019 is one of my favorites. I love looking through these. So I'll just, every once in a while, I'll just look through some of these. 2018. Oh, boy. Wiseman, one. Mm. Cole Anthony, two. <laughs> Isaiah Stewart, three. And then Anthony Edwards, the greatest athlete of all time. He was four. RJ Hampton, Vernon Carey Jr., Jaden McDaniels, Josh Green, Nico Mannion, and Scotty Lewis was our, was our top 10. But then you go the next year, 2020. Jalen Green, Kate Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Kaminga, Scotty Barnes, Jalen Suggs. Pretty good. The top six. Like, wow. Fucking nailed it. Yeah, that yeah. was so perfect. It's like, <laughs> yeah. some years, yeah. Think back everything I said. They got it right there. Yeah, year. so some years it makes total sense. And then other years doesn't make sense at all. The 21 one, uh, that had Chet, Jaden Hardy, second. Amani Bates, three. Mm-hmm. Paolo is four. Baldwin Jr., five. And Jabari Smith, six. Jalen Duren seven, but I do think some of the smarter teams do look at these lists like Golden State. I know the Celtics did it too. They did a bunch of times, but Golden State definitely like Baldwin Jr. was at like 27th, had the worst college year of all time, right? Goes and plays for his dad. Yeah, it's just Turns everything goes wrong. Yeah. And mess. Golden State's yeah, like, right. eh, let's throw that year away. We're getting a top five guy <laughs> from a year ago. And by the way, he was playing yesterday. 
So it's not a bad way to think about it, just to think like that happened to Zaire Williams too, where he had like the year from hell. And now I would say he's somewhat stable. But so in a way, like the lists are a little bit accurate, but then other times they're just all over the map. I don't know what to make of them. I love looking at them. I read a coffee table book <laughs> of just the list. They're just like, oh, I'm going to look at 1983 today. Good book idea. That would be a good book idea. Should we do this? Yeah, yeah, let's put that together. Yeah, yeah, let's yeah, let's take a, a quick break and then I want to talk about some more college hoop stuff. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Nissan SUV. It's good to stay up to date. I mean, we've seen this in basketball. We've seen it in football. We've seen it in baseball. Once the stats started taking off in the 2000s, everybody had to figure that out. Then I remember in basketball, first it was three-pointers. Then it was defensive stats. You just got to keep moving. You got to keep evolving. You got to keep going. Now it's pace and threes. What's it going to be next, big guys? That's why the 2024 Nissan Rogue has Google built right into its 12.3-inch touchscreen infotainment system. With Google Maps, Assistant, and more, you can stay up to date on everything that's ahead without even needing to connect your phone. Find your next adventure with the Nissan SUV. Learn more about the Rogue, Pathfinder, and Armada SUVs at NissanUSA.com. So on FanDuel right now, the men's basketball champion odds, and again, this is on a Monday, Houston is the favorite of plus 650, which seems really high. And then Kansas plus 800, Alabama's 9 to 1, Purdue 10 to 1, UCLA 10 to 1. And then it dips down to Arizona, 17 to one. So it doesn't seem like we have an actual favorite. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that jive for you? Yeah, this whole, I mean, the, the thesis statement of this season is no one is good, you know, or some people would say everybody sucks. I don't know which one you want to, I, I don't really uh, prescribe to either one of those. I just say that I think that there are four really good teams that are in their own class. And that's Houston, I think is in their own class. I think Kansas is in their own class. I think Alabama is in their own class. And obviously, you know, that has a different connotation now. And then UCLA is in their own class. So I think those four teams I look at and I say, close my eyes, go to Houston. If those are the four teams in the final four, I think we have the four best teams. Not Purdue with what Indiana did the other night to Edie and that drop coverage. It's not. Yeah, I mean, that that's that has a factor. It's not really even about Purdue per se. I mean, I, I like this team. They just have two freshmen in the backcourt. They have a lot of, you know, either do something or do nothing. You know, there's an Ethan Morton kid who's a great glue guy, but sometimes he comes in and he's, you know, 0 for 3, has three turnovers and does nothing for you. They have a few X factors like a Mason Gillis that comes and he hit nine threes in one game this year. So I can see Perdee being able to flip games, but Edie's going to have an SEC official in the second round and they're going to play Arkansas an eight or a nine seed. <laughs> and that that makes me, you know, stay up at night as a Purdue fan because... That is what is worrisome. And they're, again, a young backcourt. And two freshman guards, 
that are not NBA freshman guards, I mean, that could be a struggle. So Can I read you a Bob Ryan tweet? Yeah, sure. please. I am watching Purdue 7'4 Zach Eady play quality big man basketball for the fourth or fifth time. And if it's true, there is no longer a place in the NBA for him. I am officially disgusted with the hostile takeover <laughs> of the three, which is distorted so, basketball at every level. So I kind good. of agree. I like watching I agree. Zach Eady. So good. I was watching uh, last night, Luke, or yesterday in the Sunday games, Luke Garza came in for Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And had like a little natural player step. of the year. Yeah. He had a mm-hmm. player on the bow put back. I was like, let's go. <laughs> Centers. Walker Kessler. Centers might come back, KOC. Yeah, I think I think with Edie, he deserves to be drafted. Uh, I think there's a chance he becomes a valuable NBA player. He is, Once I you mean, get to like he, the 25th pick, sure. why not? And, and, we know that guy can and play. And also, I think with this draft, if there's so many teams with multiple first-round draft picks. Why not take a chance on the seven-foot-four behemoth who has some skill around the basket, who can be used in matchups where size is valuable against, look, two finals contenders for the next five to ten years, Embiid and Jokic. There might be a moment you need a guy with size. And Giannis, too. It's valuable. And Kessler. (laughs) (laughs) My God. Did you know Walker Kessler was going to be Bill Russell last year? (laughs) Let me tell you, as uh, someone that watched Garrison Brooks and Armando Baycott play in front of De'Aaron Sharp and Walker Kessler, I was pulling my hair out. I was like, this can't be real. Roy Williams, what are you doing? And then, you know, to watch these two guys play in the NBA, I mean, it just makes me sick to my stomach. Unbelievable. Yeah, he's great. Got great ball skills. Like, if we redrafted that, he's one of the top five picks from last year. There's no question that. Definitely top 10, right? I think with Kessler, I mean, Kyle Mann and I talked about this on the draft show last week. Or no, actually, for our live show we did in Utah. It's like, he's like a, he's, He's a top high school player. Yep. He's a top college player. Wins defensive player of the year. And yet you couldn't have expected him to be this amazing this soon in the NBA. I mean, he's better than go- for Utah, better than Rudy Gobert ever was offensively because he has ball skill, like you said, Tate. He can handle a little bit. Has, he can pass out of the short roll a bit. Even shot a three the other night. <laughs> yes. And that's why he transferred from Carolina because yes. he was like, I want to shoot threes. And they were like, that's not what we want to do here. You botched this? Yeah. I forgot that part. Bo- botched it. <laughs> Whose fault botched was that? Whose fault was that? I think Roy Williams retired after after the end of that. Because oh, come was, on, Uncle Roy. Yeah, <laughs> that was not good. But yeah, I, th- I think Kessler, like he should watch Brooke Lopez tape. And just mm. try to emulate that game. And I feel like if he does that, we're talking about How about uh, Brooke Le- Lopez should watch some Walker Kessler tape? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he'd flip it around. Does Brooke I can't Lopez, believe how good he is. Does Brooke Lopez serve as an example for a guy like even like a Zach Eady? Like, here's how I, you can go from defensive liability to yeah. highly effective, you know, all defensive team player with Keep size. those arms up. Keep your feet moving. Right. I mean, yeah, I don't think Eady has like, the fluidity and small spaces that a Brooke Lopez does. Lopez has, had always had it on offense. He just kind of translated it to defense. But I don't know. I think Brooke Lopez, with what he did in his career, going from low post, you know, all-star interior guy to shooting spot-up threes, and he's become a 3 and D guy at seven foot one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, to me, Brooke Lopez is a model that I think every college big man should be looking at. I like Whether Zach it's a Kessler Edie. or a, an Edie, no matter what type of player you I are. I think, at worst, Edie is like a Boban fun person to have in the totally. locker room. No yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think he'll be better than Boban. He could I be an too. 11th man on yeah. somebody's team. Yeah, he shouldn't go past, like, the 29th pick. No. And he I, started I playing basketball at 15. Anytime there's a kid that starts at 15 like that, like, you know, Embiid, any of these guys where it's late in life and then they slowly are developing, you have my attention. So one of the criticisms 
criticisms I see of Edie is like he uses all his shoulders to create space. I'm like, so what? Right, <laughs> He's right. aggressive. I mean, yeah, maybe he right. gets called for fouls and he needs to adjust, but you want that aggression against an Embiid or a Jokic to translate. I I think there's a there's a role for him in the NBA, even if he's just a situational guy. Those guys are going to be important in those playoff no, series. Another thing, he's fucking Canadian. Like the yeah. I'm, the Canadian Olympic team has been on my radar for a while. I feel like I'm the only <laughs> only one worried about this. The fact that Shea Gilgis Alexander, they have like a crunch time yeah. guy. Well, you know who's going to save us? R.J. Barrett. He's going to save us. He's going to go on that team <laughs> yeah, and shoot RJ. him out of the game. <laughs> Clear That's what RJ. we need. That's what we need. Are you enjoying R.J.'s rocky uh, post-contract season for the Knicks? I'm I'm just enjoying the experience. Yeah, all around. I I mean, I like R.J.'s defense, I will say. I like R.J. Barrett's defense, but Can't he can shoot you out of game uh, in a heartbeat, as we saw at Duke, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the same story. So he's the one person on Canada's team that I'm like, I think he's on our side. Wait, we, I got us off track. <laughs> so you give us you gave us four teams that you think can win the title, the favorites. Yes. I'm crossing off Purdue because they're Purdue. They're not gonna win the title. Agreed. Who are we kidding? They'll lose in round two and be like, oh my God, they just <laughs> lost to a team that hit 23s. I can't believe it. Purdue's out. Alabama, there's no way they win the title with all this stuff going. I'm crossing them off. Houston's Houston, no. Houston okay. could win the title. Nah, right? I'm crossing them off. Yeah. Kansas. Houston, Houston could win it, but I like, I like that you're crossing them I'm off. I'm just crossing them off. Too unrealistic. <laughs> Kansas, now that Kansas has the blue blood realistic, but let's go to like some of the, you know, little tastier, further away teams. We like anybody in that 25 to 1, 30 to 1 that... I'm not sure the odds, but I like Marquette. I think, Marquette I think is Mar- 26 to 1 on FanDuel. I think Marquette is a team. One, this is the first, highest they've been ranked in the AP poll since 1978. Al McGuire. Wow. Days. I actually remember wow. that that team. Right. And Al McGuire is one of my favorite coaches. I love Al McGuire. They won the title in 1977 against my North Carolina Tar Heels. Phil Ford had a hurt ankle. Tommy Lagarde was hurt. So there was a lot of excuses in there. But Marquette won the championship. Marquette has the pedigree. I think Shaka Smart's in a perfect situation. And I think that, you know, when you come to the tournament this year, they are going to speed the game up for teams and they're going to cause a lot of problems. And, uh, you know, Marquette is just... Good narrative, too, with the Shaka smart right. thing. And Shaka's done Flew it before. a little too close to the sun. Hello, Crash. Little comeback. He was always a good coach. This is who he, and Texas, I could hear all the rhetoric. Texas hated him. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the powers that be at Texas did not like Shaka for whatever reason. I think Shaka's a very likable guy, but there was, you know, Texas is Texas and Shaka is Shaka. They didn't really mix. They didn't really match. You know what I mean? So the fact that he's at Marquette, it makes sense. It's a place he understands, a place he gets, and Marquette knows how to win. So I think Marquette's a good one. Marquette, 26 to 1. Right behind them is Indiana at 30 to 1. What about them? Trace Jackson Davis. I like Jalen Hood Shafino. He's really so, good. Yeah. Uh, he's one of the best freshmen in the country. He had, I think, you know, 33 against mm-hmm. Purdue or 31, something like that. So he had a great game. I, I like Indiana. I think they're a sweet 16 team. I don't think that they're a final four title team, but I would love to be proven wrong because it's good for basketball for Indiana to be good. You know, it's good for Mark Cuban to care about Indiana basketball. I think you'd like Trace Jackson Davis as an NBA guy, Bill. Listen, I can't wait to throw myself into mm-hmm. this four weeks and pretend I know what I'm talking about. It's going to be well, great. I, this is I, a I got the scout on Trace Jackson Davis. Make him go right. And uh, oh. there's only one player that I know that's going to go left and can go left every single time, and that's Zion Williamson. Everybody else, I, I would like you to be able to go the other way. So that's my concern with Trace Jackson Davis. I just don't think he's going to have to do a lot of that in the NBA. It's going to be screen and roll, DHOs, right. dive to the rim, right. switch on defense. You know, I, th- I think those, like, he won't have to like he's what is he that most frequent post-up player yeah in college basketball he gets doubled more than anybody just like that's not going to be a thing for him in the nba but you're right he's like, a he great passer. Improve. oh yeah, yeah he is he's improved a lot yeah i think so 
Well, I go like, into the sixty-five to one range. Oh, wow. Duke's fifty-five to one, Iowa State sixty-five to one, and San Diego State seventy-five to one, and nestled in between all of those teams is Tate's North Carolina Tar Heels. It's sixty-five mm. to one. I wish it was seems, 100 to 1. Seems a little <laughs> high, but yeah, you're right. It could go. But they're probably, they're going to make it unless they play them out next week, right? They're playing Florida State tonight. If they lose on the road at Florida State, I think that'll that'll make it an uphill climb. They're going to have to beat Duke on Saturday. I'll be at that game, so I'm excited about that to see that in person. This Carolina team is probably the most frustrating basketball group uh, of players I've ever watched in my entire life. They could beat anybody. They could lose to anybody. They took Alabama to four overtimes. Could have won that game five times. Uh, in that game, but I don't know. I, I'm not sure the magic is there this year. I think last year there was some sort of divine intervention because of mm. Coach K and his hubris. <laughs> there, there's some sort of Icarus story <laughs> to, to go with this, um, and I'm not sure they had the same thing this year. <laughs> it's funny that Coach that, uh, coach of the other team spurred on North Carolina's incredible run. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. What do you, any uh, long, long, long shots for you, KFC? In college basketball, I no. mean, I, I watch college basketball through an NBA lens. <laughs> yeah, um, so I, you I, love I, Pepperdine. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Maxwell Lewis. Yeah, I like Maxwell the Final Lewis. Four. Uh, uh, how about like TCU? Mm. Plus TCU got Miles in that backcourt. Are, are they like a deep sleeper? I think TCU. I mean, the Big Twelve in general. If you want to bet on a team to win the title, it's someone in the Big Twelve. Okay. So, in my heart of hearts, like I said earlier, Kansas is the team. I can't get them out of my mind. They switch everything. Oh, they're so fun. They have this guy, KJ Adams, who is, uh, I mean, if I was the Warriors, I would say we want KJ Adams to come here. He's a small ball five. And he, Grady Dick, get both of them. Get both of them. Like, get both of them. I mean, Kansas is a fascinating group. And I think if it's not Kansas out of the Big 12, Baylor. Baylor is a team mm. that uh, has my full attention. They got Chachawa back, who is one of their best defensive stalwarts. And, uh, I think they're going to be a really good team. Alabama's really taking out. them off the hook. Yeah. Deontay George, maybe he has like a big 30, 35 point game in exactly. a big game. You know, exactly. He's Kansas got the 8 to 1. Plus, the Chiefs just won. I don't know if that ties in at all. And Kansas we haven't had a repeat since Florida, you know? And even though this Kansas team, they lost Remy Martin, they lost Ochai Baji, they lost Christian Brown, you know, they lost uh, David McCormick, they lost a lot of guys on their team. They still have Jalen Wilson, who's one of the best players in the country. And uh, they have two guys that can really get you 30 points when you talk about Grady and you talk about Jalen Wilson. So, mm-hmm. Can I talk you guys into Iowa at 41 for the women's title? Just to Kaylin ride the Kane Clark. Clark bandwagon? Sure. <laughs> I do feel like they'll have the most bets because nobody follows women's basketball. Just like, what team is she on? Yeah. The one who's on SportsCenter all the time. She is amazing, though. <laughs> she is great. I feel like she's going to save the WNBA in some ways. She's got a great bravado about her, too. Like, you know, she, like, seems as if she wants the spotlight, Did which you see I when she hit the game winner and she just ran? Yeah, like Jalen Suggs She moment. just ran <laughs> into, like, the concourse, basically, yeah. and just was screaming at the fans. I yeah. It's amazing. She's the type of player the W needs with all of, totally. all of that mentality and, and the style of play as well. It's a likable style. Mm. I mean, Tarassi's the best ever. Yeah. Tarassi's now in her late 30s. And, you know, I think that this would be a good one. New for face. Um, anything else we need to cover, Tate? When is your, what's your podcast schedule? My podcast, I mean, Kyle and I are, are putting it together. We're, we're trying to get everything, uh, all of our ducks in a row. But yeah, couple we're, this week. Yeah, trying to get two out this week to get things started, get people fired up. You know, we'll get tweet th- out the link, the One Shining Pod. You can, you, if you already subscribe, you're good. But if you haven't subscribed, you could refollow it, get it on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get pods. Yeah, please subscribe, and uh, we're excited. I mean, college basketball is the best time of the year. March is the best time of the year. I uh, I get to go see Carolina play Duke in person. My birthday's coming up. I'm still in my twenties, Bill. Did you know this? I'm still. 
still in my 20s. <laughs> it's been a long- you started working for us. You were like 22. <laughs> yeah, right. It's been a long time in my 20s. I'm praying to God I can get to 30, which is March 13th. So uh, then I'll finally be locked in and loaded. So that'll be good. I'm excited to back to it. I'm I'm fired up. I will say, Kyle, <laughs> he like Kyle's throwing his arms up. in the air. <laughs> Kyle got he's getting married this year. We think it's still on <laughs> schedule, right? <laughs> still th- happening. Two thumbs up from Kyle. Did you have the bachelor party yet, Kyle? No comment. He told me I wasn't invited to the bachelor party. <laughs> Can we hear Kyle? Yeah, I just have no comment. That's all. <laughs> did the bachelor party? Did it happen yet? Not yet. <laughs> You're just not gonna, that's it? No, that's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Only frolic room friends are invited, I think. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> All right, Tate. Good to have you back. KOC, thank you. We can hear KOC on the NBA draft show, on the mismatch. Um, you're doing some live shows? What's the next one? Yeah, we got uh, March 6th in LA. Me and Chris Vernon, he's flying out here to LA. We're going to do a live show at the El Rey Theater. Oh, Super man. excited about that. Yeah. I, I got to come to that. It's great. Hey, yeah. hey, you're invited, Tate. I got to yell, YouTube.com. YouTube.com. <laughs> <laughs> And then we're doing some Memphis two weeks later, it looks like. March 21st, I think, is the unofficial date. There's going to be some meeting. Mm. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Bill. All right. That's it for the podcast. Thanks to Ari Hawani. Thanks to Mike Shore. Thanks to Tate Frazier and Kevin O'Connor. Thanks to Kyle Creighton for producing. Thanks to Steve Cerruti for looking in as well. Thanks to you for listening. Don't forget, I am going to be on Tate's podcast later this week. I'm also going to be on the Prestige TV podcast with a Succession Hall of Fame episode Wednesday night and then Rewatchables. That one's already up. So fun, fun podcast today. I'll see you on Thursday. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.